welcome to episode 27 of the Swamp Flicks Podcast. My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm James Cohn here. We are coming again from New Orleans, Louisiana, back at James's place behind the old rock and bowl. That's right, dude. Uh, this is, again, the movie review website, Swamp Flicks, in podcast form. James, <laughs> last night we watched WrestleMania. We did. We're recovering today. <laughs> I've been recovering all day. Oh, man. It was too much fun. Yeah. But... Well, besides that, we're going to see Radiohead tonight. A lot to be distracted by. <laughs> yeah. Can you remember any recent films you've seen that you enjoyed? I watched both the Magic Mike movies recently. Oh, yeah? I really loved the first one. The second one was okay. I feel I mean, the exact opposite on that. I know. We'll, we'll have to get into it some other time. Yeah, the, the first one's like an introspective, like, Soderbergh movie. I love it. Yeah. About male strippers. It's so good. Yeah. I just, like, I really love the chemistry between the two love interests, mm-hmm. like Channing Tatum and the other girl. I That, to me, is what carried that whole movie. Like, they just had a genuine thing that I think was missing in the second one that was more just, like fun yeah there's like no romance in the second one really no. yeah it's just pure over the top like ridiculous cinematography campy performances yeah. yeah which i not to say i didn't enjoy it i just really liked the first one so definitely recommend both of them the they're first, awesome the first one also has that like kind of 2000s financial crisis aspect to it as well like there's kind of like a serious undertone to like the financial stuff in that movie yeah uh where it's just like down and out trying to, like, get out of the stripper business and everything's just kind of solemn. Mm-hmm. And then you have those, like, stripper teens that kind of break it up with what people were looking for, which is, like, a party movie. Right. Yeah. And then the second one, it's, like... Pure party. Post-recession, <laughs> like, we're out of it, let's just have a good time. Yeah. That might be a longer conversation between us. Yeah, I, I think we could fill up a whole episode on on just those two movies. We watched the first one um, on the 4th of July a couple years ago because it felt very American. (laughs) So maybe... uh, That must have been fun to see in the theaters. Yeah, maybe this summer we should revisit. I actually didn't go to the theater for um, the first one. I saw the second one in the theater, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that that would be even more fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Cece walked out and was like, this is the best movie of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't think she, like, met. But it was just, like, a funny, like... Yeah, but at the time it felt... Like, just right. It was very high on my list that year, though. I think it was, like, my top five or something like that. Yeah, dude. What about you? Have you seen anything recently? I've seen a bunch of, like, stuff that I'd say has already been kind of written to death. Like, I really liked the new Power Rangers movie, and mm-hmm. I really liked Raw, uh, but those movies... Oh, you saw Raw. Yeah. Both of those movies already have enough ink spilled on them. Um, today, in my, like, post-WrestleMania haze, I watched two WWE cartoons, which I feel like those are probably less overtalked. I saw WWE and the Jetsons, Robo WrestleMania, and Surfs Up Two, Wave Mania. <laughs> you, uh, you definitely have more patience for for WWE uh, cartoon movies than I do. I like the Hanna Barbera ones a lot. I think they're just like goofy in a perfectly wrestling way. It makes sense that they bring these sort of larger than life characters out of the ring into like these situations where like. In the Scooby-Doo movies, they fight, like, a robo-bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this one, um, the big show gets frozen in, like, a tundra. 
and wakes up in the Jetsons' future and finds out that WWE is all wrestling robots now. And he uh, oh, no. he basically beats them in the submission and makes them take over the city in his name and like claims himself like the king of Orbit City. And the Jetsons have to go back in time to get like Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns and people <laughs> so and Sheamus to come back and like beat up the Big Show and take their city back. That's it's so funny. Really it's, absurd. Yeah. Have uh, you seen that uh, Camp WWE show? No, nah, that um, seems more like South Parky. It is kind of like snark humor. No, I just, I'm not I, with that. That's the only real like cartoon. WWE uh, thing I've watched. So Surf's Up 2 is a sequel to a 2007 movie that was like in the theaters with like Zoe Deschanel and some other people in the voice cast. And this is like a directed video sequel to that movie, which I guess didn't do that well. But it's basically like penguins surfing and it's supposed to be cute. It's got John Cena and Triple H and Vince McMahon all playing themselves. And it's also got Paige who is in the midst of, like, a sort of sexting, sex tape scandal right now. Yeah. Uh, so it's, like, really interesting to see her in a kid's movie that came out, like, a month ago. Well, what's interesting with her, too, is The Rock is working on a movie about her family. Oh, really? Like yeah. a documentary? No, I think it's going to be um, an actual, like, motion oh, okay. picture. But um, th- I don't know what the status of that is after yeah. all that. I mean, this scandal. was, like, just two month or two ago this came out. Um, and I feel like the scandal must have been like right after that. So it's really, uh, hmm. really interesting to see a kids' movie where like basically her whole character in the film is like girl power, and she wants like more girl penguins to become surfers. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a garbage D- film. It's like, <laughs> the D- it's like the Divas Revolution. Yeah, it kind of is. It's not very good. Un- Undertaker also has a major part in the film, which is kind of weird after last night because uh, he basically retired. Yeah, that was that whole match was just kind of sad yeah honestly and then him leaving his hat and trench coat in the ring yeah close well, it out if you want to be a little less sad you can see him as a giant penguin who likes to surf that yeah that sounds like a nice <laughs> palate cleanser oh actually there was one other movie i watched bad grandpa the dirty Rob- grandpa or bad grandpa wait I might be getting it. It's the one with Robert De Niro. Yeah, I liked that movie. Dude, I liked it too. I was so <laughs> surprised. I was, When I put it on, I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible, but I'll just like kind of watch it and laugh at it. And yeah. I actually was like into it. I was like, what is going on? Like, I should not care for this like raunchy, like that kind of comedy doesn't really appeal to me usually. It's very bro heavy, like frat humor. But the jokes just like worked yeah. for me, you know, and I also liked Aubrey Plaza in there and De Niro actually like gave a pretty good performance probably his most committed performance for years in like years yeah it feels like almost like a Freddy Got Fingered kind of prank to see him like give him his all for something that's basically just him telling dick jokes and like rapping to today was a good day and like yeah uh, he has this like heart to heart at the climax of the film where he's like the best gift a grandson could give his grandfather is unprotected sex with a (laughs) co-ed yeah (laughs) it's just like a uh it's an absurdly dumb movie. It's like aggressively stupid, but I I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, dude. me too. Cool. I'm glad we're on the same page with that one. Cause... I, I heard a few recommendations for it, and I kept ignoring them because I thought people were recommending Bad Grandpa, which is that um, Johnny Knoxville movie. Uh, oh, so this Dirty Grandpa is the This is Dirty Grandpa. Okay, yeah. I got those confused. <laughs> yeah, I'll never get those titles straight. Well, today we're going to be um, sort of embracing our unofficial stance as like a horror podcast. We, we cover a lot of horror here, but usually we do it from the fringes. Today we're like pure splatter, 80s gore, yeah, uh, special effects horror. Um, You're diving in yeah. the deep end. <laughs> Head first. One. We're going to be talking about a lot of uh, mutants, 
Mutants, aliens. The undead. Cults. A lot of weird sex cults. (laughs) Demonic presences. A little bit of superhero. Yeah, just all kinds (laughs) of nastiness, too. And each a bloody mess. Uh, And all that's coming up to you right now. While it is a sad fact that mass homicide and practitioners of blood cults infest our society, the producers of this film wish to express that they do not condone, nor do they want to inspire, any of the human butchery or violence portrayed in this film. If you feel you will be offended by such material, please leave the theater at once. Note, all of the mutilations, bodily dismemberments, and cannibal rituals were performed by seasoned professionals. Please do not attempt any of these stunts at home. Thank you. And now it's time for our Movie of the Minute segment. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. Uh, Since we have sort of a horror splatter, 80s bloody, comedic, special effects showcase uh, theme going on today, I wanted to return to this movie I had watched earlier this year um, for the 52 Films by Women project. This director, Jackie Kong, had four movies in the 80s. Uh, She had two movies starring stand-up comedians, um, and she had two movies that were basically splatter fest uh, horror comedies. One's called The Being. It's not very interesting. And the other is called Blood Diner, which is sort of a masterpiece uh, of just like (laughs) ridiculous Looney Tunes type gore. Um, This is a very loose sequel to Blood Feast, which is not a movie that we enjoyed when we watched it um, in in college. I remember us hating it when we watched it back in the day. Yeah, but it's not a direct sequel in any way. No, not at all. Um, the plot of this movie, there's a crazy uncle who is gunned down on the lawn in front of his two nephews uh, after what sounds like it was a strip club massacre that he did with a dick in one hand and a knife in the other. Yep, meat cleaver in one hand, genitals in the other. There you go. Um, his <laughs> nephews grow up to be restaurant owners at a, at a very hip Los Angeles vegetarian spot. Um, they dig up their uncle's body and remove his brain, which is still oddly intact after 20 years. And it just kind of pops out of the skull. Yeah. Nice. It's got the nice eyeballs are still attached to the main brain, too, so the uncle can see. Yeah, um, and he mo- the uncle mostly just kind of rambles on about what he would do if he had his dick. <laughs> <laughs> so he just hangs out in a jar, ogling women who uh, come into the restaurant. And the boys start killing people. For two purposes. One, they secretly feed it to their restaurant patrons who believe that they're eating the best vegetarian food on the planet, but it's actually just human meat. No particular reason for doing this other than that they're like sadistic weirdos. <laughs> uh, the other reason they kill women is sort of in a Frankenhooker fashion. They are building a new woman out of dead body parts to take the form of the goddess Sheetar, which will be brought to life at a ceremonial blood feast uh, known as the Lumerian Feast. Sheetar. <laughs> yeah, the word Sheetar and the words Lumerian Feast are repeated just on loop throughout the entire film. Uh, they don't really mean much. Nothing really means much from a plot level other than you do get a climactic blood feast where there's a nightclub full of punks and disco weirdos eating each other and lightning goes off. Uh, the goddess Sheetar eventually does come to life and she has this vaginal Venus flytrap mouth over her, her abdomen that like eats men's heads and she shoots lightning out of her fingertips. I mean, she has these giant fangs and a sort of post-punk 
band that are all dressed like Hitler play this sort of nonstop pulsing beat while the club uh, goers turn into zombies and eat each other's flesh. And the movie just sort of comes to a halt at that point and sets up a sequel that uh, never came, unfortunately. Unfortunately. So this is sort of a Looney Tunes type horror. It's a very cheap uh, made film. You could tell that they were just kind of having fun pushing how much gore they could possibly get away with. Yeah. And it's all just a goofy kind of cartoonish splatterfest. It's still the a lot of the death scenes are still pretty innovative. They're interesting kills that happen in the movie. What did uh, you think about it on the whole? Like what were your first impressions on Blood Diner? I actually enjoyed it more the second time I watched it because I realized there was little gags throughout that I'd kind of like missed upon first viewing and I don't know when I watched it a second time it just kind of kind of clicked of just the humor yeah and just some of the scenes one in particular the there's a topless aerobics class that gets shot up by one of the guys in a Reagan mask Mm -hmm. and then there's just piles of bodies on the floor and cops like going through the body parts without gloves yeah like just absurd stuff like that the blood feast at the end is just so over the top. Oh yeah, the for gore. sure. It's an actual blood feast as opposed to the original blood feast, which was, from what I remember, just kind of boring. And that was our uh, main takeaway from Blood Feast. I remember it was kind of like just nastily misogynistic in the way that a lot of exploitation films are. But we were also just like, "Where's the blood feast?" I feel like yeah. I was promised some kind of like grand spectacle of blood that never came. Yeah, this definitely delivered on all that, and it also like I don't know, there there were a lot of jokes like little things that kind of made me laugh out loud there's a point where they're going to a club and one of the guys throws a bouncer (laughs) out into the street and then this car on hydraulics just comes by and just smashes his head and like a melon yeah and then everyone just sort of laughs like (laughs) and then they go into the club like nothing ever happened there's another part where they take these two girls back and they like have sex with them and then they're trying to kill them and the one girl Almost gets away. She's almost out the door. And she's like, damn it, I forgot my purse. Yeah. And then she goes back and immediately gets murdered. <laughs> and then she picks up her purse and accidentally spills the contents on the ground. Oh, right, So right. then she has to spend an extra 20 seconds. It's kind of like a... Um, I would compare the comedy style to Zazz. Like the Zucker, Abram, Zucker era, like Airplane and Top Gun. Yeah. Or, or top Secret, sorry. Top Secret. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Naked Gun. All the gags are just one on top of another. And that's the main drive of the film. It's just trying to sneak in as many like tiny jokes uh, where you throw so much at the wall that if you don't laugh at one thing, another ridiculous thing will pop up. Yeah, and in the same way as like Airplane and those kind of movies, like it's not just what's in front of you. It, you'll notice things like going on in the back mm-hmm. too. Like, yeah, just trying to sneak in as much stuff as possible. And honestly, like most of the gags work. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really a fun movie like, it flies by very quickly. Yeah, uh, one thing that popped out at me was when they're looking at their shopping list for items to pick up for the grocery store. Uh, he looks down and it's like... Dog uh, dicks. Dog dicks and like three tongues from sluts or something like that. It, and it's a very quick flash and you can't see... Like, it does, it's not left on the screen long enough for that to even register. It's just something you like get a brief flash of it, like, wait, did that shopping list say dog dicks on it? Yeah, and that's the kind of thing where you watch it a second time and you're like, oh, damn, like, <laughs> that's pretty messed up. I also like that juxtaposition of the, like, doo-wop 
music yeah. with the really over the top gore, and then that transitions in the last act to like noise rock, like punk. It's got kind of a post-punk, like, dance, like, disco beat with, like, a punk overtone to it. Yeah, I like that that shift, because the movie definitely has a punk, like, attitude Mm -hmm. about it. And I think it has a lot to do, like, to go back to the Reagan mask thing. It's like that Reagan era of, like, hardcore punks. Like, I think, I feel that vibe throughout the whole movie, just punk do-it-yourself. It's a very L.A. film, and it, this would have been, like, late in the L.A. hardcore scene where everything got very silly. Like, stuff like, uh, was it Flipper or whatever that started playing that like really slow music just to piss yeah. people off? This has, like, a prankster spirit in the same way that, like, late uh, hardcore does. I feel like they try to shove in a bunch of other pop culture stuff in there, too. There, there's, like, a scene with just, like, unnecessary naked kung fu in it for absolutely no reason. There's a, there's a pro wrestling tangent that the movie goes on where one of the brothers has to wrestle little Jimmy Hitler. Jimmy Hitler, yeah. Which is a great uh, heel gimmick. This guy just dresses like a muscular Hitler and, and challenges members of the audience to, to defeat him in the ring. Yeah, and then he he bites Jimmy Hitler and then he spits the blood on this girl in the audience and it's just so over the top. But yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Another highlight for me was a minor character, but Valentino, the ventriloquist doll. Like, that's such a weird character. The, like, rival diner owner, he has, like, I mean, it is a van... It's hard to even describe what it is. It's, it's like a... It's- it looks like one of those kind of scarecrow uh, things where you dress up a straw man in your clothes. So it's like a human-sized thing uh, with a still doll face that has this little cartoonish voice. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, there's a more popular restaurant down the street you should check out. Check it's, it out! <laughs> it's kind of like a Mickey Mouse-ish uh, voice. And people treat the doll like a real character. Right. That too, I love that. That was so bizarre. There's little gems like that throughout the whole movie. I, the the guy that owns the rival diner, mm-hmm. he gets his hands cut off, and then he's trying to drive the car, and the blood's just spraying all over the inside of the windshield. So he can't see? Yeah, he's like, ah! <laughs> that, I don't know, that was really hilarious. Too. I like the uh, woman who gets her head in the deep fryer, and she comes out with a giant donut that still has the hoop earrings on the outside. Yeah. Uh, so it's just this naked woman screaming, and her head looks like a giant hush puppy. <laughs> And then he whacks the hush puppy off of her neck with a broom, and it just rolls uh, like a meatball across the floor. It's great. Just absolute insanity. It, it, it is like a piling on, uh, kind of like Monty Python or uh, Zaz, where each gag isn't just a single beat. Like, it just keeps going further and further and further. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like the guy's head just gets squashed by the hydraulics on the car. It gets squashed, and then everyone laughs at him, and then they move on. Like, they, they let the absurdity of each gag sort of get pushed beyond just its basic value. One, one other thing that I liked about it was the cop characters. Just kind of weird. The one cop is dressed like character out of Saturday Night Fever, mm-hmm. and he's just basically hitting on the other cop the whole time in a really gross sort of way and just like all these like minor characters like them the other diner owner just they all add something like they're all entertaining Sheetar herself has like a really striking look like I could see a lot of drag queens adopting that like giant uh, monster yeah like drag also reminded me of, like a female pro wrestler oh too. totally like, that thread of like wrestling is definitely part 
of the movie, which, as a wrestling fan, I enjoyed. Yeah, that was one of the main reasons I wanted you to watch it, was because there's just, like, so much unnecessary pro-wrestling stuff thrown in just for flavor. Yeah, uh, and they, like, diss it, too. Like, when it's on at the diner, the one of the main diner patrons, what's his name, Vitamin C? Yeah, this giant truck like, driver guy. Yeah, he's like, how do you watch that homo sport? He's, like, dissing it, and then they, like, beat him up, and he throws up everywhere, <laughs> and then... People are throwing up because he threw up, and it's just yeah. Like, it's another one of those tra- chain reaction gags that just gets pushed way further than you'd expect. Yeah. So I yeah I really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, I would recommend it next time you're looking for some kind of like midnight movie to pound some like cheap beers to. Uh, they just re-released this on Blu-ray in this like nice restored version, which is a lot nicer than trying to catch it on like YouTube or something in like shitty digital did, digital uh, haze, you know. Did uh did Jackie Kong make anything after this? I'm not sure what her last movie was, but she only had four titles as a director in the 80s, hmm. um, and she was recently on an episode of the Shockwaves podcast, which is uh, Bloomhouse's horror podcast okay uh, and she did a really great interview where she talked a lot about the legacy of this film and about like why her career was a little stilted so if you want to hear a little extra mat- material on why it is that she disappeared 30 years ago but one of the cool things about that interview is that she's basically calling for jobs she's like why am i not directing on the walking dead or uh ash first the evil dead or all these like horror shows that are on tv she's like i feel like i influenced a lot of this uh horror comedy television landscape i should be involved people should be calling me up for jobs which is a pretty great yeah, claim because you know the other part of this episode is about brian usna and it seems like she could have fit into that niche like made a bunch of these like kind of direct to vhs kind of movies and kept going so i was just wondering like why her career seems to have stopped with blood diner maybe it's one of those things where female directors after they have like a couple flops aren't given a second chance, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, That happens very often. But maybe at this point, because she is trying to come back and she is doing this sort of like victory lap for this movie that's gained a cult audience in the years in her absence, like maybe... Maybe we'll see more. Yeah, maybe now she'll be able to get a little money for some kind of sequel or a new new original property. Awesome. way down. You won't even feel it. Moment of terror suspended in eternity and it's all over. I don't care. People commit suicide because they do care. Suicide. Life, death, happy, sad, pleasure, pain. It's all the same. Don't you believe there's a reason for everything that happens? No heaven, no hell, good or evil. God is a joke inside a nightmare. I believe in nothing. Then why despair? Why not do whatever the hell you feel like doing? And for our feature conversation, we're going to be talking about 10 collaborations between a director and a special effects artist from the 1980s. Back in December, I watched this cult film that's sort of been making the rounds 
in this resurgence since Trump was elected. Uh, it's playing on Shutter right now. It's called Society. Uh, it's a film that came out in 1989 uh, on a festival circuit and then was released again in 1992 um, in sort of wide theatrical release in America. Um, it is a movie that really fucked me up when I watched it by myself. I then made the rest of the website crew watch it and we talked about it all through February of this year for our movie of the month feature and then I still wasn't done thinking about it and I immediately asked James if he wanted to watch all 10 collaborations between the director of the film and his special effects artist the director's name is Brian Usna and the special effects artist his name is Screaming Mad George <laughs> um, they sort of work hand in hand um, most of their respective IMDB lists match up with this list like there, there's a few projects where they aren't working together but for the most part they're like close collaborators right um, Society this is the film that I could not shake it is about a young kid who feels at unease in his house as if his home life and his school life and his psychiatrist are all conspiring against him. He starts hallucinating these weird contortions in people around him. He's in this like rich Beverly Hills neighborhood. And then he finds out in a sort of Rosemary's Baby way that there actually is a conspiracy um, against him. And that the wealthy are not only conspiring against him, but they conspire against all poor people um, because they are an entirely separate race from the poor people. Um, they've been feeding off of us, the 1%, oh, uh, so and just sucking the life out of us. And then I'd say the last 30 minutes of the film is just pure Cronenbergian mess. Uh, just like pure bodies melted into each other and just like weird sexual taboos. Yeah, just an orgy of the flesh. And that's where um, Screaming Mad George comes in. Uh, he gets his own credit at the top of the film that says Surreal Makeup and Gore Effects by Screaming Mad George. And that's... Uh, a title card he uses for only a few of his movies, but that, that word surrealistic is very apt to what he does. It, it's funny too, um, the way he got started was making like music videos for punk rock bands. Mm. Yeah, and apparently like super gory, you know, horrific videos are what got him his first jobs in like Hollywood. And then, you know, teaming up with Brian Usna, he kind of has established himself as... I mean, I, I think definitely one of the top in the game as far as what he does. I mean... What are your general thoughts on, like, society? Is this, like, their best film? Because I, I feel like after watching nine other collaborations from them, I feel like I was just chasing right. this, like, high from watching society for the first time. Yeah, I, no, I felt the exact same way. When I first saw society, I was completely blown away. Especially that last, like you said, 20 minutes or so. Holy shit. It's called the shunting the that shunting. sequence. The shunt. Yeah, and it, really words don't even do it justice. We're trying to describe some of the just bizarre, just sickening imagery. There's a fisting. Scene. There's He like walks in on his parents and his sister in this like sort of incestuous orgy where like their body parts have been swapped. Mm -hmm. So like his sister's face is where his mother's crotch should be. Uh, and his dad's face is where his asshole should be. The only movie I can think to uh, compare it to besides just like general Cronenbergian uh, special effects aesthetic is Slither from James Gunn. Uh, the way that all those mo the monster in the film gradually absorbs other bodies to their just one melted mess with like all these different limbs and orifices. Yeah, I I was kind of thinking while I was watching that scene it sort of reminded me of a little bit of The Thing Mm, like, yeah, definitely. I mean, just like how otherworldly and bizarre and that it 
seems. It's like totally not part of any sort of reality. It's just screaming mad George, just creating whatever sickening (laughs) image comes into his head. And it also reminded me of uh, this sculpture I saw in, I believe in Oslo. It's called the Tower of Flesh. And it's just this giant pillar with body parts like twisted and contorted together. Yeah, just like flesh on flesh and it's totally like a nightmare. Yeah, it's un- it's unnerving in like a really cerebral way. Like it, it just like makes you really uncomfortable in a way that most gore doesn't. Like uh kind of like a standard slasher movie, you'd have someone stabbed and you see like blood gushing out of the wound. That's, you know, unnerving in in some way, but it's not like this where you just feel like it's so wrong. The sweat and the goo coming off of these people as they're connect their bodies to each other in these like twisted sexual positions it's really just upsetting yeah it's not um fun really it like does make you feel extremely uncomfortable yeah just like cronenberg does with a lot of his stuff like the fly or Mm -hmm. whatever it's like a whole nother level of horror yeah like almost like um i know we'll get to this later but kind of like a lovecraftian idea for just something completely like outside the realm yeah. of reality i'd say like clive Bar- barker does that well as, yeah like as in well. hellraiser yeah. and stuff totally the same kind of like mixing of sex and violence and ugh. yeah well just as i was saying earlier that like raw and uh power rangers and other movies i've seen recently have been kind of talked to death society is the one brian used in the movie i feel like has been discussed like heavily especially lately i feel like it's having sort of resurgence because it is available um for streaming on shutter right now so i feel like more people have been watching it in the last few months mm-hmm. i do want to move on just to say his next film bride of the reanimator from 1989, a sequel to the Stuart Gordon picture. This is a good insight into his whole aesthetic because he works really closely with Stuart Gordon in a lot of his pictures. Mm. Um, and a lot of people kind of see him as like a second-rate Stuart Gordon. Basically, Reanimator has a huge cult following and always has since it came out. And Yuzna has been sort of like a second-hand man to him. Like he co-writes and co-produces a lot of his stuff. And he brought in Screaming Mad George for The Creatures in Bride of the Reanimator 2 when he took over the directing in, in those films, uh, which he co-wrote with Stuart Gordon. So what else has Stuart Gordon done? Um, I forget the titles. Honestly, I'm not a Reanimator fan, um, so I yeah. don't know that much. Uh, I think he has a film called From Beyond or, or something like that. Okay. Uh, but, but more Lovecraftian kind of stuff, but done from a um, horror comedy slant. Like, he has, like, a comedic uh, bite to his movies. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing with Bride of reanimator and just a reanimator series in general is Mm -hmm. like it's kind of the same deal with evil dead yeah in that i should like these movies like the horror comedy gross out stuff like it should appeal to me but for some reason like i did not care for for any of the i mean the original reanimator is pretty good okay yeah but it's kind of diminishing returns with bride of reanimator i mean there are some cool effects and all that, but it still like just didn't do anything for me, which is weird because I feel like it should have. Yeah, I, I'm not an Evil Dead fan either, and I think that's a pretty apt comparison. Who did that? Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. Yeah, yeah. But a similar kind of style where it's all this sickening stuff that's played for humor in this sort of deliberate way, 
Uh, Bride of the Reanimator has music from Richard Band, uh, who is um, Charles Charles Band's brother, the guy who does all the Full Moon stuff. Mm-hmm. And you could feel this like dinky comedy um, score to this stuff. Like, there's a scene where a character swings a dog against a wall until it dies in this movie, yeah. and the soundtrack's like, wah, 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 wah. like yeah. you're supposed to laugh at it, and I'm just not finding it funny. Like it, something, it's like too ironic, I yeah. guess. Like, or, or too forced. Right, I I don't know, but like that scene with the dog, I this is yeah. awful. But like you said, the music is very like do 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 do. Yeah, what? And in society, I feel like there's a lot of humor in a similar vein. Like people, like the dad when he exposes his face where his anus should be, he says, "I guess I really am a butthead." A butthead, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but that punchline is like. You don't laugh in that moment. Like it, it really is like upsetting still. Even well, though it's the image the image is so disgusting that right. like you can't even think to laugh really. Well the uh basic premise of Bride of the Reanimator is that uh basically the college students from the first film who invent the serum that brings the dead back to life, they accidentally killed their girlfriend or something like that, and mm-hmm. they build a new woman out of dead body parts from other ladies. And I basically saw this as like a less fun version of Frankenhooker. I don't know if you've ever seen that film. I haven't seen that. I w- I sort of was reminded of like Weird Science. Yeah, that's another bit. one. You know, like yeah. just creating the perfect woman. Nothing really comes of that storyline until the end when she's like fully a conscious being. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this one moment I really enjoy where she wants to love him so badly. This man that she used to be in a relationship with before she was dead. And he's like, I don't want you. Uh, like, you're not my girlfriend. You're this, like, thing that we created. And um, in her desperation, she, like, rips out her own heart and tries to hand it to him and, like, falls on the ground. They're like, why don't you want me? Like, here, take this. That that moment was very effective to me. I Yeah, because it's very, like, mellow, melodramatic, a little bit, like, literally ripping your heart out to give to someone that's rejected you. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the few moments in the film that does approach like something great yeah um and here's where i should say that these 10 collaborations between yuzna and screaming mad george i don't always love what Yuzna's doing but i always love what screaming mad george is doing yeah. this movie's still worthwhile to me even as someone who didn't enjoy the overall aesthetic just to see the special effects work from from george oh i mean pretty much i think you could say that about every movie on this list except maybe one or two but they're all worth watching if you're at all into special effects or makeup and i do agree that like in a way yuzna is a good competent director like all the movies that we watch for this are like well made given their budgetary constraints yeah like, sure it never feels amateurish or whatever um but screaming mad george definitely steals the show in almost every single film right so I, but I think, I don't know what their dynamic is, but I do think Yuzna doesn't really want his directing to be the main like focus or thing people talk about. Like, seems like he's kind of given Screaming Mad George, you know, just a, a vehicle to let out all this crazy shit he has in his head. And and the the plot for this one, uh, they instead of just reanimating corpses with that neon green um, substance they they create that brings dead flesh to life. Uh, they create new things. Like, they'll stitch a uh, arm and a leg together 
uh, and inject it with the serum. They're like, oh, look at this new being I created. And that's where, like, Screaming Mad George gets to have, like, a full playground here. Um, the last 15 minutes of this movie is just total chaos. A really enjoyable, like, conclusion of the film where all these, like, different creations... There's, like, a dog with a human hand for a head and, like, a human head with bat wings and, uh... Just all kinds of crazy shit. There's uh, fingers and an eyeball stitched together. It kind of crawls around like a spider. Mm-hmm. And in the end of the movie, all these things sort of trap these two assholes who've been playing God uh, in their laboratory basement and just sort of like have them against the wall while the world crumbles around them. Yeah, that's that's another thing I kind of noticed in all the, all the movies that we watched is that the last 20 minutes, and almost all of them tend to just go balls to the wall insane. It definitely seems like that's kind of using a style. Yeah. Is to like tease you throughout with certain effects or gross out stuff. And then at the end, just unload it all on you. And that's definitely the case with uh, Bride of Reanimator as well. His style, I'd say that Rosemary's Baby thing I was talking about with society where like there's a paranoia that's intense. Um, maybe not in Bride of the Reanimator so much, but there's this like building tension, um, and then it all crumbles at the end. Like you're saying, like the last 20 minutes are usually like a showcase. Mm-hmm. Um, that is usually when Screaming Mad George gets to go like fucking crazy. Um, <laughs> I also would think that visually he has a specific eye. He uses a lot of wide angle lenses, like kind of like a comic booky look. Uh, like a uh, Dark Man would be a good comparison. Where everything has that like fish eye lens, like almost childlike. He almost makes like childlike movies that just happen to have horrific gore <laughs> scarring films. I know what films. you mean. It's like the kind of movie you would catch on cable as like a child and it would stick with you forever, you know? Right. Yeah, a lot of these do feel like kind of made for TV-ish or like something you'd see on like the sci-fi channel late at night. But again, like still like well-made. Yeah. Well, the next two definitely were straight to video. These are sequels in the Silent Night, Deadly Night franchise. This is a killer Santa slasher series. Usually, <laughs> when Yuzna well, took over, he completely went off the rails with right. his premise. It's sort of like a like a Halloween three kind of situation mm-hmm. with this, where the first few you know revolved around a killer Santa, and then it just totally shifts gears to something completely unrelated. And yeah, I guess starting with the fourth one, it doesn't really have anything to do with the rest of the series. It's yeah, more about like witches and a cabal and <laughs> all that sort of stuff. But yeah, he took over with Initiation, which is the fourth Silent Night movie. Um, came out in 1990, and I think that Halloween Three comparison is dead on because this is a movie about a bug cult and like witches, uh, which is very much like Season of the Witch. And people were pissed when they went to the theater and didn't see Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. And this movie does the same thing, where like the only time you actually see the killer the like Santa killer that's supposed to be in the movies it's playing on TV like a character's just watching in the background almost as like a tease like look we know that this is what you want yeah that that kind of uh, reminds me of Human Centipede 2 a little bit mm-hmm. how it just revolves around him watching the first movie basically but I like that kind of gag of you know yeah this doesn't have anything to do with the rest but here's <laughs> here's the original on television well, this one goes even further. The fourth Silent Night movie almost has nothing to do with Christmas. Like, Christmas is mentioned a couple times early on, but it's basically purported to be this, like, pagan holiday. Like, they only really use Christmas to basically call Christianity a cult. 
and that's used as a uh, contrast to what eventually reveals itself to be the real conflict of the film is that this like lesbian pagan cult is initiating this reporter against her will into their like wings yeah and i love the like feminist aspect of it where all the men in the movie are pretty awful like the the people uh the men she works with at the you know at the newspaper all like kind of shoo her away like oh go work on the classifieds or whatever you can't do go make us a cup of coffee make us a cup of coffee and her like love interest is kind of awful too i i don't know and then yeah i mean it's just she finally becomes empowered yeah after joining this cult well the first thing that happens in the movie is that a woman falls off a building on fire and the uh men in the newsroom the next day are like she was a hot one huh like, they don't even respect this woman who just died. Right. But I think it goes too far in the other direction, where it's kind of like a classic, like, women behaving badly without men's guidance becomes evil. Like, uh, these feminists go too far, and they're like, oh, men are a parasite you must remove from your life. And they, like, require her to kill a young boy who's, like, obviously an innocent child to sacrifice to the mother goddess or whatever vague thing they worship. Yeah, I couldn't really figure out the like sort of those kind of politics of the film Mm -hmm. is like okay it seems like it's pro-feminism but then like you said the feminists the witches are actually the bad the (laughs) antagonists in the film so it seems kind of muddled in that way and like when she becomes powerful she like becomes dominant in bed and like starts kind of like acting like an asshole so it's like a bad thing that she like is empowered yeah right that's what so it's kind of weird. I mean, at the end of the day, this is like a bunch of guys writing like a supposedly feminist horror movie. So yeah, when, well, when... and also you're not you're not <laughs> watching Silent Night, Deadly Night for the initiation for some feminist critique, right? I mean, you're watching it for all the bugs and the just na- there's some really nasty stuff in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I again think that. Season of the Witch thing is very apt because there's all these things in this movie about bugs being inside of you and like uh, one of her first steps in the initiation is they sort of drug her and she has this again Rosemary's Baby type nightmare where like Clint Howard has like a dildo strapped to his face oh yeah that yeah that was like some weird clockwork orange kind of you know where they have the long noses fucking weird also why Clint Howard he's in both Silent Night movies yeah yeah and then um, in the middle of the dream sequence, she throws up a bug, like this giant black beetle, and they're like, that's your fear. Like, you, you made your fear into a literal object and you threw it up. And the way that they um, sort of bring her into the fold is they put this little bug larvae inside of her. And that, this is when you get the screaming mad George goodness in this movie, is these nasty bug puppets that he made. Yeah, that the image of that giant larva coming out of her mouth, mm-hmm. like very phallic like this just giant thing that that image definitely stuck with me uh probably more than any other in this film this reminded me a lot of society if you're going to talk about chasing like the feel of society in other films like the idea that she thinks something's wrong with these people who are recruiting her and just like suddenly very friendly they take her on these like picnics and um yeah go drink wine in the park yeah and, and she keeps like just blacking out and waking up like was that a dream and you hear insect noises in the background at first, and you're like, why is the soundtrack doing that? And then you start to realize, like, all these people are just, like, full of these nasty bugs. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Dude, and that's, that's a thing too. Like, you know, everyone's got their thing that kind of grosses them out or they're afraid of. But one of those things for me is bugs. Like just a lot of bugs in one area like that. Mm-hmm. Like even the scene... Like, at her apartment, where the bugs are just crawling, like... They come out of her sink drain. Yeah, out the sink, they're all over the place. Like, just that, like, whole thing reminded me of, you know, this scene in Creepshow. The guy in his apartment where he gets all covered by the roaches. Mm -hmm. That sort of stuff, like, freaks me the hell out. Like... It's a pretty good metaphor for going insane. It's good shorthand for, like, someone who's losing their mind that they see bugs all over them. Yeah, well, it's like Bug. No, the Ashley Judd... The, uh, the freaking movie. Yeah, the Michael Shannon movie. Yeah, that that feeling of something crawling under your skin, that anxiety. I, I think bugs are like a perfect metaphor for that. And it's kind of funny that the whole reason they're like doing this to her is basically to recruit her to work at this like feminist bookstore. Like it's kind of like a, a really like harsh way to like bring her into something that should be like really harmless. I like this movie a lot. This is high on my list. I know you were a little higher on the next movie on the list, which was Silent Night, Deadly Night Five: The Toy Maker. I didn't like this one as much. Uh, This one wasn't. This one wasn't directed by Yusna. He uh, co-wrote it and co-produced it, Um, but it still had Clint Howard in a small role. Uh, Screaming Mad George again on the visual design and effects. He had his like title card where it said like surrealistic visual design. Again, no killer Santa, but instead of a bug cult uh, in the (laughs) Toy Maker, you have. Uh, Mickey Rooney, former child star, as this creepy toy maker who makes killer Dude, toys. God, his role in this movie is just so bizarre to me. Like, why did he really need a paycheck that bad? Like, he is such like kind of a small role, and it's so so weird to see him in there. Like, yeah, it's a straight to video movie from a director who most of his credits are miscellaneous crew on like Tarantino pictures. So there's like no prestige to this at all. And he plays a evil toy maker whose name is Joe Petto. Joe Petto. So like Joseph Petto. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but see that that is kind of one of the things I liked about it. Like when they're like, Oh yeah, we'll go get you a toy from a uh, Joe Petto's Toy Story, like, what uh, is his name? Is Pedo? <laughs> My God, don't trust this guy. So, okay, and he has a creepy son named Pino, who's like this, like weird, like train hopping punk looking guy. Yeah, uh, wears a lot of leather and um, like bandanas, and has these like really spaced out eyes, like he's always tripping. And again, this movie slowly dulls out the creepiness until the last fifteen minutes. The first scene, real like the first real sequence, this kid catches his parents fucking and gets really creeped out and goes downstairs and basically is spying on his Christmas gifts before Christmas. His dad catches him downstairs and his dad opens a gift himself and the toy kills him and the kid witnesses this. And he's... Well, not not his dad, though. It's his stepdad. Stepdad. Okay. That gets revealed later on. Yeah, but that doesn't really amount to much. Except that there's this other guy hanging around that you think has a sinister purpose but it's the kid's dad and that's right that and see that's another thing that i actually liked about the movie was that twist seemed completely unnecessary or the way they went about it like just having him creep on them for like an hour yeah and then he chases down his ex-wife in the parking lot and it's like and he asked her like what why did you run for me and she's like i didn't know what to do i couldn't believe it was you it's like really <laughs> you haven't seen your your ex that you 
used to love, you know, in a while, and then you run away from him in the parking lot. It just seemed completely like misguided, yeah. which is like why I liked it. Just a weird, <laughs> just a weird twist that really had no bearing, yeah, on anything. I don't know. I was kind of bored by this movie, like. The initial kill with the stepdad, the toy like straps itself to his face and he like struggles around and that's it. And he falls on Yeah. The second kill, there's this guy driving and a toy burrows itself into his head and pops out his eyeballs and the truck flips and explodes for no reason. (laughs) In the middle, it's like in the middle of an abandoned field. Yeah. And just totally over the top explosion. That was cool. Well, also I thought that the... Was it like a snake? Yeah, it's like a snake toy, uh, and it shocks him once it's inside of his skull. I thought that that was some of the worst effects I've seen from Screaming Mad. Oh, yeah. Like, phoned it in so hard. It looks so cheap, and like, he put in no effort. It looks like a Charles Band movie. It looks like Demonic Toys or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Okay, the third one, even lazier, this kid's like rollerblades spark, (laughs) and it drives him into traffic, and he gets hit by a car. Well, what's funny about that too is he gets he gets involved in this seemingly minor accident. I mean, the car's going maybe five miles an hour. The kid just sort of half-heartedly rolls on the hood, and the very next scene they show him in the hospital, he has a massive head wound. <laughs> He's like He's bleeding. Both everywhere. of his eyes are bruised. <laughs> it's like Jesus, how did that happen from the five you know five mile an hour car wreck? Also, I, I do agree that the movie is pretty boring. Yeah. <laughs> But again, like all the stuff is why I liked it. I mean, I I found myself really laughing at it. Like anytime the kid would come on camera, Derek, the little mm-hmm. boy, he just had this stoned, like blank. Yeah, because he goes quiet after he witnesses the first death. So yeah. he just kind of stares and does nothing. He just stares and does nothing <laughs> until the very last scene in the movie. Yeah. He finally, like, asked, like, who the guy is yeah. you know, that saved him. Like, oh, that's your dad. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, dude. Okay, over an hour into the film is when Mickey Rooney finally shows up in costume as Santa in their house. And he releases demonic toys. Like, it, this is basically just a Charles Band movie. There's, like, this little army of, like, stupid robots that, like, shock and, like, prod these what? teenagers while they're fucking in a bed. I, lo- I love the hand... Oh, yeah, that was good. It's like, you know, doing some butt stuff, and he's like, oh, baby, I like that. You've never done that before. And she's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, what kind of a toy is just a severed arm that, like, does butt stuff? (laughs) Like, who is that for? (laughs) Because the rest makes sense. They're like little robots and dinosaurs and stuff. This is just, like, a human arm that, like, plays with this guy's butt while he's making out with his girlfriend. It's so funny, dude. I... Also, that scene is funny to me because it keeps... uh, So while that scene's happening, while the babysitter and her boyfriend are making love, the main woman in the story and her ex get back together too. So they have two sex scenes and they're just jumping back and forth for a while. But there's nothing interesting going on in the uh, main sex scene where they're just making love in a car. Yeah. And that's it. So they, And it just keeps going back like maybe six or seven times between these two sex scenes. It's like, who decided to do this? It's like ill-conceived. But I I really loved the, uh, the hand scene. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that it's higher up for me is that last 15 minutes. The last 15 minutes are pretty incredible. So, I'll give you that. So incredible. So Pino is revealed to be a doll that Mickey Rooney made to replace his real son who died. And Pino 
has no dick. Once he takes off his bandana and his hat, he looks a lot like those Duracell commercials from the 90s. With, like, plastic hair. Yeah, like a bicentennial man Mm kind of deal. He gets naked, and he looks like those uh, still-life dolls that you pose that have, like, these, like, very obvious joints. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's probably the most fun Screaming Mad George had making something was probably this costume for this kid. Yeah, he's like a robot, Yeah, too. And then when, I don't know, when he is, like, forcing himself... On her, and he's, like, dry-humping her, and he's just like, I love you, mommy. Yeah, he wants to adopt this lady as his new mom, and then he forcibly dry-humps her and says, I love you, mommy. What? (laughs) Dude, my jaw was on the floor for that whole scene. I was like, what? My, My favorite twist in there is the reveal that he's like that because Mickey Rooney is a drunk who goes into rages and breaks him and then rebuilds him. Like, he gets frustrated that he's not a real kid. He doesn't have a real dick. (laughs) So he, like, destroys him and then rebuilds him, and he's just never quite right. And, like, I guess through that, like, cycle of abuse, Pino becomes this, like, evil force in the world um, and tries to make a new family for himself with this woman who has a real child and wants nothing to do with him because he's super creepy. (laughs) I don't know. It's all it's all good fun. I I really enjoyed it. I don't know. I'll give you those last fifteen minutes, but I I think this was probably one of my least favorite out of any of these films. I see. I thought you would have enjoyed it more because of the camp factor. See, I I thought that the fourth one, uh, initiation, I thought that was campy in like the right way. Like it was it was not as legitimately good as society. It was kind of like a goofy society knockoff. With like this lesbian bug cult, like that—that that was my speed for sure. This I one was uh, mostly just boring until like the last twenty <laughs> minutes. I was also bored by the next movie on the list. Oh, no. This is The Giver, also from nineteen ninety one. Um, this was produced by Yuna Yuzna, and it was the only movie ever co-directed by Screaming Mad George. So this is where you have Screaming Mad George like taking on a directorial role, which I I think what you kind of come away with after the Giver is like there's a reason that Yuzna and like kind of does the directing George does the effects because as a like director this movie is not great it's so boring it's really boring it's super cliched yeah I mean the way this and the way the story plays out too is just like you've seen this plot structure a billion times so this is a um, superhero movie based on a Japanese manga about a uh, extraterrestrial suit of armor that when it attaches to someone, they become the Giver. Uh, well, and one thing I want to say about that is like, I and this is a huge pet peeve of mine, is the way the film starts with this like, we're going to bring you up to speed and just like read to you what what this like plot is basically mm-hmm. it goes in all the stuff with the aliens and the guyver and it's like i hate when films do that it's like just show me it's right like, don't just tell me uh, the very first scene like what's going on that's really frustrating yeah like, this is pretty early on for comic book movies like this is around the time like roger corman's fantastic four came out or or didn't come out because <laughs> its release was botched uh and you know like power rangers uh teenage mutant ninja turtles like this is kind of a goofy superheroes or kids stuff era um so that information dump kind of makes sense to me because like i mean you had batman in 89 was one of the first like new era comic book movies Mm -hmm. and this is still holding on to that like this is for children media um aesthetic i guess the one good thing you could say about it is i don't 
I thought the monsters, the aliens, I guess, were well made. I mean, they looked pretty cool. It's just a lot of the time, the like fight scenes or most of the scenes in the movie were like very dimly lit. Mm-hmm. So it's like I wanted to see these creatures, but they were like in the shadows most of the time. Well, okay, so these are like alien fish, pretty much. Like they present as human beings, and then in their alien form, they transform into these like fish people. Yeah, uh, which has a kind of a Japanese look to it. It also reminded me of the like a larger size, like Gremlin. Kind yeah, of, and and the Ninja Turtles too. It's got uh, I can't remember his name. I think his last name's Berryman, but he, he's the guy from The Hills Have Eyes. Both versions. Uh, yeah. he's like the main fish goon. I li- I liked him and the the main villain, ba- bad guy. Yeah. I forget that actor's name, but he was in Reanimator mm-hmm. as well. I mean, they both do a good job. I mean, that's kind of what they're there for is to chew up the scenery and just be over the top bad. Uh, two people that don't do a good job. You have uh, Mark Hamill of Star Wars fame. Why are you in this movie, Mark Hamill? I'm like, the I'm sorry. fucked up thing is you. on the poster, they show Mark Hamill's face with the Guyver technology as if he is the Guyver. He is not the Guyver. He never is the Guyver. <laughs> He's uh, just a CIA guy. Yeah, and this movie's basically like the Karate Kid plus Batman. Like, it's got that Tim Burton color palette, like you said, everything's kind of dark and wet. Uh, and then this young kid who's training in a dojo, this like white kid, is the one that gets the Guyver technology. So Mark Hamill's just kind of this drunk CIA guy who's like walking around. Um, he even just feels out of place the whole movie, really. Giving like 1% effort here. Yeah, who could blame him? Yeah, really. Even I mean, worse, uh, Jimmy Walker, Dynamite, plays yeah. a rapping ethnic type alien who wears like chains in his alien form and like does breakdancing moves yeah, and makes like freestyles it's all the time. so fucking embarrassing it's really offensive honestly yeah his uh alien face has gigantic lips that the other aliens don't have yeah it fe- it really feels like something that would have been done like decades ago like mm-hmm. we're this was made like the 90s and it's like come on people like yeah that kind of just overtly racist stereotypes doesn't really have a place in a movie period especially one this recent the uh last line in the film is like a setup for a sequel which did occur there's like the guy for two uh but he's like oh i have another mission for you he tells uh jimmy walker's um alien he goes dynamite and then cut its role it leaves you with such a bad taste yeah, especially, you know, because... And we've watched a lot of his movies together, and he's, like, a legend. He shouldn't shouldn't be in The Giver. And he had a lot of drug problems around that time, for yeah, sure. well... <laughs> <laughs> like, he does have one moment that I thought was, like, one of the best moments in the film. He stumbles onto a movie set in his alien form, uh, and the director of the movie that's being filmed thinks that he's a uh, an, actor an actor in, yeah, in costume. Yeah, he's like, good job... You know, the costume looks good, but, you know, the lines could be better. <laughs> Probably the only, like, laugh I got out of the movie that I can remember. Well, and the reason it reminded me of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is it tries to be this, like, goofy... It, it is. It's, like, really goofy martial arts, like, slapstick, but none of it is funny. I mean, that's, like, the main problem with it, I guess, is, like... If it's going to try to be that kind of movie, it's got to at least have some laughs. And yeah. They're very hard to come by in this one. And if, if you're chasing uh, the society feeling, there, there's really only one 
moment here that I would recommend. Well, there's the opening transformation when they first reveal their alien form. They take a little time with that, and it looks good. But at the end, Mark Hamill is transformed into this giant, like, Kafkaesque cockroach with, an, with a human face on this giant cockroach body. That's that cool. transformation is really cool. Also, I liked the... Uh, what's what's the term they use for the main bad alien? The big bad, I guess. I don't know. Like the oh, Zora. in film? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't know. But you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, when he takes his like final form, he's this huge arachnid yeah. kind of creature. Like That was pretty awesome, too. Like Yeah, the, the effects are always good with Screaming Mad George, but... Uh, it also kind of funny, they... This, this movie's, like, teetering between four adults and four kids. Uh, like, they mention Tetsuo. Uh, there's a, well, they don't mention Tetsuo. There's a doctor named Dr. Tetsu. And the movie has, like, a part human, part robot vibe to it. So I feel like that was a Tetsuo sort of reference. Mm-hmm. Uh, they name drop Robocop in the middle of the movie, which is one of those properties that was, like, marketed for kids after the fact. Like, it's a hard R Vero film. That's an extremely violent But movie. they had, like, Robocop cartoons and Robocop uh, comic books for kids after the fact, you know? Mm. Like, it's like one of those designs kids latched onto even though it wasn't for them. And I feel like this movie tries to do that as well. One thing I really hated was that the copy I got was the director's cut. I was like, oh, good. Some extra Screaming Mad George, like, monstrosities. Apparently, the director's cut is less bloody than the original cut, which is the only time I've ever heard of that in my life. Right, it's almost always the other way around. When the the Giver is fighting off these bullies in an alley, he'll grab this guy's arm and throw him against the wall. That's the director's cut. In the other version, he grabs the guy's arm and rips it right out of his socket. <laughs> and I fucking missed that kind of stuff. So I don't know if I would have enjoyed the, the bloodier theatrical cut. What? Well, so I guess I saw the director's cut too because in that scene, yeah, the one I saw, he goes against the wall. He doesn't get his arm. Yeah, that's like an up. insert shot they shot after the fact to like make it more marketable for kids, which is fine. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be superhero movies for kids. It was just felt really wrong in this movie. Um, if this movie were a hard R gross out fest, I think I would have enjoyed it more. It would have played more into its strengths, you know? Especially like you're seeing like a, the only movie directed by Screaming Mad George. Like I'm expecting all out graphic monster transformations and it, you just don't get that yeah, in the I, was, I was very disappointed by this one the next one was very good also not directed by Yuzna except for in parts this is a horror anthology Necronomicon Book of the Dead uh, and it's based off H.P. Lovecraft short stories uh, Yuzna directed the wraparound segment where H.P. Lovecraft is a character in the film and he goes to this library that's eventually revealed to be run by these like alien creatures and yeah. that's what Screaming Mad George designed for the film, was this giant alien librarian. Um, and he also directed a segment where these two cops go into this basement uh, where this couple Dude. are running things. Yes. Um, one guy gets destroyed and gets his like brains eaten out, his skull's hollowed, and like his pus is like falling out of his face. And then his partner is put in this series of like Twilight Zone type shifts where she's like wakes up in the hospital. It was all just a dream. It's not a dream. There's, like, an alien in your belly. Um, <laughs> like, it's a series of, like, fake-outs uh, with these really just hideous alien creatures. A lot of, like, weird pregnancy imagery. This And also these, like, weird fleshy bats that are all covering the walls. Like, I guess if you take it story by story, so the... Because it, it is, like, an anthology. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like a creep show or something. But the first one... 
didn't really uh, do much for me. It's about... Oh, like, I love the first one. Is it really? the mermaid one? Yeah. The, I love that. Uh, I I much preferred the the second two. I thought this whole movie was strong. Uh, this oh, is like one of my favorites. Oh, I thought it was strong too, yeah. yeah. The first one has this gorgeous creature design where it's this giant octopus with a mermaid for a tongue. Like and by giant I mean like the size of a house. Right. Uh, I think that's one of the like most brilliant special effects designs in any of these films, even though it's not a Scream Mad George creation. Um, it's still like oh, so that's struck. not Screaming Mad. No, he only did the Alien Library Librarian um, in the wraparound segment, and maybe he had something to do with Whispers, which was the uh, use in those segments. Okay. I mean, I, yeah, I thought the effects in the movie were great. I, I think from just a I guess story. Mm-hmm. standpoint i didn't care for the first one as much the second but... one was uh kind of a mr freeze situation there's this guy who's like stay in this cold apartment right and it, it, you know it's revealed that he's basically keeping himself alive using other people's blood i guess or <laughs> when he melts in the in the movie uh in a fire that's fucking disgusting there's like this really hideous face melting in that segment it's kind of like uh that scene from poltergeist where i don't know if you've seen that, but like where he's looking at the mirror and you know, he has a hallucination that his face melts. It's basically that taken to like whole new heights of depravity. Like his whole body just melts from like the outside in. (laughs) It's so gross. Awesome. How do you you feel about the using the segments? Do they hold up? Against the other two, the the one with the cops and the the bat demons with their talking vaginal I, chests. <laughs> I love, you know, I love that. Actually, more than anything else, that last scene reminded me a lot of society. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, the gross fleshy stuff with vaginal openings and yeah, that that came pretty close to how I felt watching that scene in society. But uh, I thought I thought all the segments are actually pretty strong and yeah. the movie holds up i mean it's e- good even if you didn't like the mermaid segment as much like that's the first one so that's kind of like a build it'd be, be kind of sad to like have that in the middle or at the end you know right yeah i think it definitely gets more intense with each story yeah. and then at the very end too i really love the effect where he like takes the guy's jaw and like pulls it up over the top of his head mm-hmm. and like turns him inside out like it was so so crazy it's more that surrealistic visual design <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> and then uh, in 1998 so after a five year gap uh, another sequel The Dentist 2 and I will say the original Dentist film from Brian Usna is just as good as Society to me or close it's a classic for that very good of, horror film and really hard to sit through like I can pretty much watch anything, but there's a lot of scenes in The Dentist that get rehashed in The Dentist too. that just, I, I can't look. Like, I had to watch, like, through my hands. Yeah, it's close-up dentist horror, so you see, like, scalpels going into gums. Drills just uh, totally turning teeth to powder. You see abscesses where, like, discolored goo pops out of, like, people's yeah, just cavities. ripping out people's teeth without any anesthetic and blood just gushing out all in like very extreme close up and it and it looks real too oh like, yeah doesn't try to like have any illusion of like being you know fake this is just a movie like quite the opposite and the difference between the dentist and the dentist too is strength of story the first one you're forced to see the world through the eyes of this evil dentist 
who has this sort of like misogynistic warpath after he catches his wife cheating on him with the pool boy. He goes on these like long rants about how the world is full of decay and he's here to rid the world of it because yeah, he is the like dentist. A, yeah, kind of like a falling down oh, situation totally. with, uh, but he, with like someone that has like OCD. Mm-hmm. Also, the like teeth element works into it because, you know, he sees his wife uh, giving oral sex to the pool boy so there, there's this all this stuff about like oral sex and how it's dirty yeah so there's like more going on in the original dentist like a lot more interesting stuff about his character than the dentist too which basically tries to relive all that again in a way less interesting story the way i see it the first one you're seeing the world through the dentist's eyes and it's like a horrific point of view where like he's this fucking asshole monster and it's like awful to be in his skin for a day while he only does dental work on women and children, which is like extra gross. Yeah. Um, the second one, he busts out of the mental institution he's put in at the end of the first film by hiding a scalpel under his skin that he like, or a shiv that he like pulls out from his stitches to stab his therapist and mm-hmm. leave the building, which was really gross. And the movie sort of drops off from there. He goes to a small town. He changes his name to Dr. Kane, which I think is pretty funny. Way Mm -hmm. to hide out. And then he basically hallucinates. So in the first movie, he has these, like, feelings of grandeur where he's, like, ridding the world of of decay, moral decay. Uh, Mm -hmm. In the sequel, he has these hallucinations where basically all of that is gone. And he just sees messed up teeth and, like, roaches and mouths and, like cavities where they aren't there and mm-hmm. that's it like he just has these hallucinations where everyone's mouth is messed up it's like this guy's crazy and that's like pretty much the whole impetus for him to kill people yeah and also his like the love interest he has in in this one again it's just the same thing we saw in the first one but mm-hmm. the the scenes of the actual like drilling people's teeth out like, yeah it's still the same, has the same effect. It's still really horrific. Like, I got kind of cold sweats watching the uh, nasty tooth gore. Like, I hate going to the dentist. Yeah, Probably oh, because too. of this movie. Like, I caught this too young as a kid, and it's kind of, like, haunted me since. Not this one, but the uh, the dentist one. Right. Um, and this one has that same effect where it's, like, physically hard to watch the, the dental scenes. Yeah, I mean, also, I like the first one a lot more because it all pretty much took place, like, at the dentist's office, Mm -hmm. which is, like, adds to it because that's, like, really where the horror starts. Like, when you're waiting in this, like, sterile kind of environment, but you have all this fear about what's going to happen. And in this second one, it all is, like, in this small town community, and it just didn't feel like the right setting for this kind of of thing. Yeah. Uh, I would say that the movie has kind of the same problem as the reanimator films where it goes for comedy where it's not really needed like uh there's a scene where he's pulling someone's teeth and he's like pulling teeth is like pulling Pulling teeth teeth. and that's supposed to be funny and it's just not or when he uh yells at his secretary for having out-of-date magazines yeah it's like I get that that should be funny, but he really just comes across like a dick. And the way he, like, alleviates his hallucinations is he, like, cuts himself. So at the end of the film, he gives himself a crimson mask. Like, he cuts himself across the forehead. That scene actually was pretty insane. Yeah, it it looks great. He's just bathing in his own blood, just laughing maniacally. And then they kind of play it as humor a little bit as it goes out. It's like... Catch me next time in The Dentist 3, which thankfully never came out, but (laughs) I don't know. It just kind of undercuts itself in that way. 
Screaming Mad George was not involved in the dentistry horror in this film. He gets a special effects thanks. Um, I think that is for this one hallucination scene that the doctor has while he's sleeping. He sees these like zombies with these large tongues in this like fisheye lens situation. Oh, that was that was really weird. Yeah, it's about fifteen seconds of the film, but it's like so memorable. Yeah, it's one of the only really memorable things in the movie. Yeah, um, but yeah, for the most part, the dentist one all-time classic horror. This one completely skippable. Like really, nothing you can find in this movie isn't done better than the one done before it. Which I, I totally agree. The next movie, also from 1998, I really enjoyed. This is Progeny, um, written by Stuart Gordon and Brian Usna, directed by Usna, and it's got Screaming Mad George as alien and baby puppets, uh, sculptor and designer. This is another Rosemary's Baby type situation. Mm -hmm. This couple is having sex, and there's this bright light that comes in the room. They lose time, and they start to realize that that night when they got pregnant, the wife was most likely abducted by an alien and impregnated by an extraterrestrial. And no one believes the husband as he's piecing all this together. And the movie just gradually shows you more and more of the situation, like how the aliens are evolved in day-to-day life, what actually happened that night. You get sort of this like cartoonish picture of aliens at the beginning of the movie, and then it fleshes out that impregnation scene more and more and more until mm-hmm. the end when you see like a very clear picture of what that impregnation looked like, and it's, it's fucking horrific. It's terrifying, <laughs> yeah. I, I like how originally the aliens look kind of just like wacky inflatable tube men, or just mm-hmm. like you're very generic... Like, when I, when I was watching, I was like, oh, really? Like, he did the most generic interpretation yeah. of an alien? And then, like you said, when you see him take their true form, it's something really horrific. And you're like, oh, God. Like, this is messed up. <laughs> uh, it also helps that this movie has, like, a gynecological bent. This is basically the gynecology version of The Dentist, where, like... There's stuff going on with, like, this pregnant woman. It's not like the dentist in that you see, like, vaginas being punctured, thankfully. Uh, It's just, like, this horrific feeling of, like, going to the doctor and trusting that your baby's health is in all these people's hands. Right. There's something sinister going on underneath it. Yeah, and what I liked about it, too, is, you know, like, society had, you know, something to say about uh, the, like, class struggle. And even if that wasn't maybe what you remember from the movie, like, it had a... A deeper message you could say and kind of with this one too it seemed like a lot about like like a woman's right to her body and like abortion issues mm-hmm. and like and all that stuff it was kind of like underneath the surface which i like it didn't it didn't just uh, it wasn't just a stupid like alien abduction movie like it seemed to have a little something more to say and also there's a few parts in there with like illegal immigrants like he gets stopped at like a checkpoint uh there's a few different lines about illegal aliens and the cops actually are presented as alien forces as well early in the hallucinations before he knows what the aliens actually look like like yeah. in his hallucinations he sort of sees you know classic border cops with like the helmet and the um aviator sunglasses he sees them as like an alien force uh, which is an interesting twist yeah, and all that all that stuff just actually works. Like, mm-hmm. I was very pleasantly surprised by this one. The final reveal and all that was just totally memorable. You you talking about uh, the subtext of like women's rights up to their own body and stuff like that, and thinking of this through like a Rosemary's Baby lens again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 
brings me to what my main problem with this film is, and I really did enjoy it, is that it's told mostly through the husband's perspective, where he's the one putting this story back together through hypnosis, and he's the one contacting Brad Dourif, who's like this UFO expert, um, mm-hmm. and he's like a gynecologist who's like, you see like a lot of his work life. Why aren't we seeing this movie through the woman's perspective? She's the one having the baby. She's the one that was abducted. Like it just seems like a weird choice of point of view to follow the guy. I, I think it's exactly what what you said about um, initiation. Initiation, where because I guess it's written by men, it, it's sort of the same thing. Like it is kind of about women's right to choose and all this. But when you think about what actually happens in the movie, she's basically raped and impregnated Mm -hmm. but she her character wants to keep the baby and it's actually the guy that's like pushing her to get it aborted right and so it muddles that whole i guess message or that whole commentary and it it does seem because it's like written by men it doesn't quite hit the mark there's this weird scene where she hallucinates that she had a miscarriage like she like thinks about having a miscarriage and the baby comes out and it's this like hideous alien baby um and she decides when she snaps out of it to immediately go rush for a coat hanger and yeah, it's like coat hanger what a fucking weird shades. choice i don't know like you said like the, the idea of like men writing this might have made it a little off uh but overall i think it works really well it's one of my favorite ones that we watched for this yeah i <laughs> and i love to to go back to the initial like abduction scene i love that levitation mm-hmm. where he's like on top of her and then they just slowly levitate his body up and just move him over mm-hmm. and just pick her up. It's so, I don't know, that really like made me laugh. It just is a funny image. And the, the levels of alien imagery you get in here where you go from very basic to very detailed like H.R. Geiger type shit. Uh, towards the end and they reveal this through hypnotherapy like they dig deeper and deeper into the memory I think that works really well yeah and I, I actually like the explanation they give too in that the aliens want to present themselves in a way that they think humans will see them as like benevolent and you know not out to harm them but then you know you finally see who they really are and mm-hmm. so that I thought that worked well and as a showcase for george you get to see him do different kinds of aliens like there's like three or four different versions of aliens in this movie and they each have like an interesting look to them yeah except maybe the basic like x-files the grays look with like the giant head and the eyes like the kind of i mean even that was well done it's fine and i I like the the baby at the very end alien baby kind of a cockroach baby (laughs) it's kind of like a buggish kind of thing yeah, Screaming Mad George definitely has a thing for bugs. bugs. Yeah, which... These are the heebie-jeebies. So, the next movie is from 2000. It's another superhero film. Uh, Faust, Love of the Damned. Based off a 90s comic book series starring Mark Frost, who's like the co-writer and producer of Twin Peaks with David Lynch. Mm-hmm. He is a man whose wife is murdered, and then he makes a deal with the devil to get back at these men. And it's a classic Faustian tale where he's given these powers, but he sort but of he like owes himself soul. to Mr. M, who's Mr. Mistopheles. And his look in this movie is very uh, Tim Curry in Legend. It's got the giant devil horns when he's in his superhero mode, like, a lot of leather. It's yeah. a really well-done goth horror. And then the, movie. like, metal, like, the Wolverine, Wolverine kind of claws coming I love the look of his, like, full superhero form in this. I Yeah, this one I was 
again, sort of pleasantly surprised by when it starts out and you hear those kind of like death metal or like new metal sort of riffs. You're like, oh man, it's going to be one of these. Yeah. Like, because you know that from that time period. The that... soundtrack sinks this movie so hard. Yeah. It's really bad. No, and it, yeah, it's distracting too. Like, that was a trend for a while in like a lot of action movies was during the action scenes to have like metal riffage going on. And I, it just doesn't work. It's never worked. I, and I don't know why, really. It seems like an aggressive style of music like that should work with... I mean, new metal was just a bad era for metal in general. I mean, this this soundtrack has Soulfly and Fear Factory and, like, Sepultura on it. It's like an embarrassing return to stuff I loved when I was 13. Yeah, if I would have... Yeah, I was going to say, if I watched this in middle school, I probably would have loved the soundtrack. But now, going back and watching it, it's just like feels super dated well you have a superhero who again is a demon with wolverine claws and this movie has boobs blood and metal galore like if you're a 13 year old boy in 2000 this movie is like your new favorite film Um, i'm not sure how many children actually got to see this in 2000 because it was like it did nothing yeah but it's a pretty great superhero movie like unlike the guyver this is an entertaining movie that actually does some society-esque things towards the end uh, mm-hmm. When he gets his revenge on Mr. Mephistopheles, they, they, or Mr. M, they're at a um, giant demonic orgy, kind of like the end mm-hmm. of society, and he's trying to bring himself into a new human form, as the devil always is in these kinds of movies, um, and he has to stop him before he creates this monster that's going to take over the earth. And I, I really like the end of the film, and everything before that works really well as well. It's it's kind of like Spawn and Darkman. Like that kind yeah, of I, I was actually going to bring up Spawn, is what it reminded me of. But actually, this might be sort of blasphemous to say, but I think it's actually a better movie than Spawn is. Oh, like, way better. Like, it it works, and it shouldn't work. I, and I think the way it handles the, like, um, mythological, you know, or the literary stuff with Faust and all that, like, it's it's interesting, too. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it works on pretty much every level, except, I, I mean, I had a problem with some of the fight scenes. Like, it was edited a little too quickly. Yeah. For me, like almost like jump cuts like it was edited in a way where the cuts didn't really make sense like and you're disoriented i feel like with a lot of superhero costumes like this one where you have a lot of like prosthetics where he is like this very sculpted uh demon figure Mm -hmm. that limits your mobility as an actor like you see that in batman movies a lot he has that like solid cowl where he can't really turn his head because it's not like the comic books where it's probably like spandex, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is like a, a sculpted piece. So it limits the mobility, so you kind of have to edit around that to make it look like he's moving around. True. But, I mean, as far as just getting like the superhero aesthetic down, this is like an entertaining film that plays into using his strengths. It has that cartoonish, fisheye lens look to it in a way that looks like a comic book. Kind of the way the Dark Man shot, where everything is like at these drastic angles. Yeah, and, and in that sense, I... This, like, subject matter in this film fits Yusna, like you said, his directing style, maybe more than some of the other films on our list. Uh, I, I think just both him and Screaming Mad George basically bring their, like, A-game mm-hmm. to this one. Uh, one of George's most disgusting creations, uh, the devil's right-hand woman is uh, this sort of nymphomaniac demon who uh, fucks and kills anything she pleases, and... Oh. To sort of put her back in her place at one point, the devil 
turns her into just boobs and ass. Like, he makes those parts of her body expand until she's just a puddle on the ground. Yeah, dude. That's just that's... these sex organs in her face in this, like, melted pile of flesh. That was so awesome. Fucking <laughs> disgusting. Fuck. Yeah, fuck. Yeah, that was sick. Dude. That is a society-level image uh, in this film. Yeah, actually, uh, if you're going to make, like, a top five, like, mm-hmm. Screaming Mad George uh, creations or whatever, it's got to be up there with society. And this won awards for Best Special Effects at the Catalan Film Festival. And I'm not sure how prestigious Prestig- that festival, yeah, festival that is, one, but... but, I mean, well-deserved. Any special effects awards George has ever won, I'm sure, deserved. Like, yeah. He, he is a sort of unheralded master in the way that, like, Rick Baker is, like, synonymous with, like, the best special effects in the world. I don't know if it's because George didn't really break out in, like, major productions the way Rick Baker did, but I... Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a shame that he never worked on something with a larger budget. Because, yeah, it kind of limits him in a way. I can only imagine if he had unlimited funds to create, like, it would be the sickest thing you've ever seen. I'm I know sure. he worked on Predator. Like, he wasn't the main special effects person on Predator, but he worked on it. Yeah, oh, and he worked on a lot... Like, lots of other movies, like Children of the Corn. Right. I think uh, he has a very, like, diverse film filmography, but... But whenever he's given, like, the reins, the reins right? Here yeah. He gets the, uh, the upfront title card that says surrealistic visual effects. Like, that's when you know you're in for, like, something really fucked up. Okay, so the last movie on the list we can mostly skip over. It's called Beyond Reanimator. It's from 2003. It's the third and final in the Reanimator trilogy. I kind of liked this one more so than the original two because it treats its premise a little more seriously. Um, It opens with this beautiful, uh, almost slasher film opening where these kids are being babysat the night of the end of Bride of the Reanimator. So Mm -hmm. it's in the 80s. And the zombies break out from that bunker and invade this house. And the zombie's jaw is completely ripped out of its body and it starts drinking milk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, its tongue is hanging out of the hole where its jaw should be, and there's just milk pouring down its like body. Oh man! Absolutely horrific image. And I was like, oh man, I'm gonna love this movie. And it's fine. They go to a prison where the guy is punished for his creations that ran wild in this suburbia. One of the kids grows up that witnessed that milk drinking zombie, uh, and sneaks into the prison and basically facilitates the mad doctor to create his. Uh, zombie juice again mm-hmm. and by the end of the movie it's just total chaos where the prison is just overrun by the undead again not very exciting but I appreciate that in the sort of early to mid 2000s when everything that is straight to video would have a lot of digital CG effects this one still has some Screaming Mad George creations where there's like skeletons and there's like um, a rat that steals a man's penis that gets severed <laughs> like uh, just these really like grotesque practical effects creations usually where you don't see those yeah i mean i i've always preferred practical effects over cgi mm-hmm. i mean it just adds a whole nother it just, it just feels more real like more tactile like well, the, that the best yeah. cg films are stuff like ex machina or black swan where there's just a little bit of it to accentuate what's there not like a transformers yeah where everything you see on screen is green screen Computer yeah, it's like watching a computer game, right? Um, and Screaming Mad George, it's it's interesting to see him make it at least into the two thousands, making this like practical stuff. Uh, unfortunately, it's not something that's done that often now. 
Uh, I, I'm not sure what his career's been like recently, but he yeah, really... Yeah, I was wondering. I, I looked into that, and he... Yeah, it doesn't seem like he's done much um, in the past, I don't know, 10 years or so. I wouldn't say Yuzna's really um, pulled off that much lately either. I'm, I'm not sure what happened there. I didn't really read in any biography stuff on these two guys. Um, I had a lot of fun watching yeah. their career, but it seems like their time is kind of over. That uh, mid-budget horror that goes straight to VHS... <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's kind of like a dead art form, but uh some of these are the best examples of that art form. The the five most essential ones besides Society and the original The Dentist, like I feel like those are two using as like classics. Yeah. Uh the five that are worthwhile that we watched, um Faust, Love of the Damned, Progeny, Necronomicon, Book of the Dead, and the two Silent Night Deadly Night sequels. Those are all really good horror films. I actually I think that's a perfect list. I would agree with with that. Yeah, there's a few skippable ones here, but even the ones we didn't like, there's some really fucked up creations, you know. Yeah, uh, even if you're just like just watching for the effects, it's still worth it. I mean, but yeah, th- those five in society and Dennis. I mean, that's like I feel like a pretty decent body of work mm-hmm. from these two. And like you said, it definitely feels like an era in cinema that probably won't be coming back. I mean, we have like straight to like Netflix and yeah straight to video on demand video on demand but it's not it's not the same as these like ultra low budget you you'd find them in you know at your local video store there's a lot of CG blood splatter now even when you have like a gory movie there's there always is some digital aid and you can feel that a little bit with Beyond Reanimator in 2003 you could feel a little bit of that creeping in but I, I don't know maybe it's cause it's like the late 80s 90s where, like, I guess maybe Cronenberg's influence was still really strong mm-hmm. from, like, you know, the Fly and Videodrome. The and Hellraiser the, movies Hellra- uh, from, from Clive Barker. Yeah, and, like, these films sort of seem heavily influenced by those. And, you know, I think Screaming Mad George was very influenced by a lot of Japanese, it, like, probably Tetsuo, the Iron Man. and But now it seems like we're beyond that set of influence yeah and the horror movies that are coming out now aren't really in the same vein which is sort of a shame this felt like a a glimpse into a very specific time period yeah but those five movies i feel like will endure maybe like maybe as people get into society and it's having a cultural resurgence right now maybe people will dig a little deeper Uh, i definitely recommend starting with those five titles like those are all pretty solid yeah, and then, like, I, I think Faust stands up as one of the better uh, superhero movies that's been made. I mean, it's definitely better than, like, Daredevil and Elektra oh, and yeah. some other... But You have to get over that soundtrack, though. That that new metal soundtrack really does embarrass me at some, some points. Yeah, and and Progeny, too. Like, it, mm-hmm. it stands up yeah. as an alien movie. So, those five, I think, are really solid. And then... Like you said, Society and the Dentist. Oh yeah, those are classics. Classics you have to see, especially <laughs> well, Society, I would say. Well, if you want to read more on Society and the Dentist, uh, like I said, in February we did a whole month of Brian using to talk about Society. I watched both Dentist films and talked them out uh, on, on the website there. For the next episode of the podcast, we're actually switching co-hosts again. Um, CC is done co-hosting for now, uh, and we're going to start recording with Brittany Lombus again. Nice. Uh, and if you want to hear a sample of that, she was on our second episode, which was another unwieldy conversation like this where we try to talk about every evil doll movie we could find. That, um, was, a, that was a rough one. And uh, that was before I did 
like heavier editing. That was like basically live to tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's gonna be a little rough around the edges. But if you want to get a sample of what Britney episodes might sound like, I'm sure they're gonna be very entertaining. Yeah, she has uh, very wild opinions, which I always <laughs> appreciated about her. Um, and we'll talk to you then in a couple weeks. Alrighty, bye. Bye. bye.